the intersection of Christian thought and Christian living is God's standard of holiness. It's time to stop avoiding issues and talk about where we stack up after asking some hard questions. We are encountering Christ through conversation. This is the Amos 77 Project. Welcome to the very first Amos 77 Project podcast. My name is Jimmy, and I am your daring and intrepid host who will challenge your ideas about Christian living. Just a little bit about me, I'm a husband, father, and pastor. I've been in the ministry for about 10 years. Where did the Amos 77 Project come from? Originally, it started back in October 2019 on a Saturday morning while sitting around my friend's kitchen table having Bible study. I didn't know it at the time, but God was going to use that Bible study to illustrate a need in the body of Christ. Since then, the pieces have just started coming together to form what is now the Amos 77 Project. The discussion that day was powerful. The topic was about Christian living, and I chose to talk about the Christian discipline of meditation. We were discussing the ways to meditate on God with the use of a life verse. Life verse being a Bible verse that you've come across while reading that you can go back to over and over. Holy Spirit showed up and the rest of the conversation topics were pretty much a blur after that. What captured me the most was this question someone asked me at the end and it was, Jimmy, where has this kind of conversation been all of this time? Knowing some of what I've heard today would have been so helpful when I was experiencing tough times. I was kind of surprised. As good as our discussion had been, I thought it was pretty basic stuff. Christians sitting around a table talking about Jesus and the Bible. The people who were in the room were Christians at the time, and they've been Christians for some time, so there was really nobody that was there that was new to Jesus Christ. While I had felt like that this was a kind of conversation we just had that set the church in the book of Acts on fire, that this was also the kind of conversations that Christians weren't having, that this was things that were so needed for us to talk about with each other, to give each other strength and to give each other guidance and to let each other know that we weren't alone, but it wasn't happening. Not only were they not happening, but Christians didn't realize how good these conversations were for the building up of their faith. The conversations also reminded me of the conversations I used to have with my mentor. He was a man that poured into me to help me get to where I am in ministry. And I have to say, it wasn't just to build a better preacher or to build a better minister. But I think the conversations that we had helped build a better Christian. This is what I mean by that. He would ask me my opinion or maybe even ask me a question. And then he would let me go on forever and ever and ever about my thoughts and my point of view. He would sit there and patiently listen. He would nod. Sometimes he would comment. Sometimes he would laugh. But he would just sit there and patiently listen. At some point, he would pick up my Bible and he would hand it back to me and go, Brother, that was pretty good there what you had to say. Now show me in that book right there where you got that idea from. Let me start by saying that that was a really bad impersonation of my mentor. But the point that I'm trying to make is that I would have to defend what I just told him. Sometimes I could. Sometimes I couldn't. He would always tell me that someday when I got down out of the pulpit, that someone would come and ask me where in the Bible my information came from, and I would have to defend what I just said. There were times when I hated him letting me go on and on like that with my wild ideas, but I'm kind of glad now that he did because it makes me aware of what I say, and I have learned to defend my viewpoint. I'm not always right. I've had times where I've missed it, but I've always felt like I was able to tell you where my idea came from, and I've always felt like I've been able to explain myself. And if not, if I wasn't clear, 
and we both couldn't come to an agreement, I would go and I would look it up and I would study about it, and I would come back and I'd make the corrections to where I missed it. This time, at that Bible study in October, it was me asking them to defend their viewpoints. This just didn't help me in my ministry when my mentor did it with me. This helped shape my personal life outside of the pulpit when there wasn't a congregation around, and it was just me and the real world. There would be many conversations I would have in the days to come, and that got me thinking about what was missing right now from the Christian conversation. We talk about so many things, but are we really talking about the things that really matter? I begin to wonder about how we can talk about the right things to get people to the place where they felt like they knew Christ better, that they felt comfortable in their skin and their Christianity. The world today has a whole lot of lifestyles that people live and they're not comfortable with them. And I'm not going to discuss what those lifestyles are, but Christianity should not be one of them. You should be comfortable in the skin that you're in on your journey with Jesus Christ. Before getting into the subject matter, I want to talk about what the Amos 77 Project is. I want to briefly outline what I hope the Amos 77 Project will accomplish. First, let me be clear about what the Amos 77 Project is not. The Amos 77 Project is not a platform to attack churches and their pastors or point out faults with the denominations and the establishment. That is not the church I'm here to talk about. On some level, there are issues with all of them. The church that I'm going to talk about are the people who make up the body of Christ. That's you, the individual listener. People are dying and going to hell while the establishment plays Christian politics. The body of Christ needs to get familiar with Jesus, who is the head of the church. The American church is a paralyzed body. What I mean by that is it has shape and it has form, but it's not moving. It's not mobile. It's just lying there while the world around it is moving really quickly. The establishment has way too many personalities and not nearly enough voices. Too many of the personalities have forgotten what it means to be hidden in Christ while they're trying to get their face in front of every lens that will spare the time. The framework of the establishment is what the Antichrist is going to use to promote his one-world agenda after the church is gone. So it's not surprising to me that sometimes the prevailing personalities coming out of Christianity are misleading. Churches today focus on building a brand and building a brand success. Personalities try to associate themselves with the brand so that they can create a successful business model. I believe that this has separated the Son of Man from his people creating a distant God. I understand that when you challenge the status quo, you upset a lot of people. When you upset them, then they begin to ask you questions like, by what authority do you have to say these things about the church or about its people or about its leaders? I'm not attacking anyone. Amos 77 Project has come from a lot of prayer and has come from a lot of holy dissatisfaction that I have with what I'm seeing in the body of Christ. It's not about paying dues or earning your time to become a voice. It's about removing branding from the church, and this must happen to get the church to consider, ponder, and live out the relationship with Christ that we were intended to have. Christians were given Holy Spirit to powerfully interact and experience God. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is not a one-size-fits-all kind of thing. If we're going to model ourselves after anything, it's going to have to model after Jesus Christ, the way that he lived and what he was like. And that's only going to come when we close the gap with intentional living. 
In James chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, it talks about how God will draw near to us when we draw near to Him. Your relationship with Jesus starts with you. People are shallow and they're quick to blame people for the things that happen to them. This mindset's not going to work when you stand before the Lord. Your pastor's not going to be there to hold your hand when judgment comes. He's going to be judged for the work he was responsible for, but you will be judged for what you did with what you were given. The Amos 77 project is a work in progress. Like all projects, it will run its course and come to an end. When it ceases to be fruitful or meaningful for the kingdom of heaven, it will end. God prompted its creation, and God will prompt the end of the project, and he knows when it will be. Until then, it will be soaked and steeped in prayer by us, and hopefully from you, the listener. Okay, enough of that. So, where to start? This was hard. Preparing for a sermon is one thing I know how to do because I'm a pastor. Sitting down to record my thoughts in an empty room with a microphone attached to a computer is completely different. Taking a notepad and a pen and mapping out a starting point of where to begin was even tougher. I kept telling myself, this isn't a sermon. Jimmy, this is meant to be a conversation about what we should be talking about, but we aren't. But we need to talk about it to bring people closer to Jesus. I just wanted to pull back the curtain that separates us from Jesus, and I want people to get it. Sometimes this is easier said than done. I don't want to approach this from a pastor to a church member avenue of approach. It's become apparent to me that this model doesn't always work. Back in October, while sitting at that table, I wasn't speaking as a pastor or a mentor. I was speaking as a Christian who had journeyed with Jesus, and I mostly talked about what worked for me and what didn't work for me in my experience. The rest just came naturally. It created an ache in my heart that took me six months to work through. After a powerful encounter during prayer, I decided it was time to do something about that ache, and that was just to start talking about that ache and how to make it go away. There are a lot of subjects of where I could have started, but the most important one that kept coming to my mind over and over is that God is holy, and nothing changes that. Right now, the number one thing that Christians need to do is to encounter God with a willingness to seek Him. Holy Spirit came to help us fill in the gaps where we failed. That is called grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's something that Jesus gives you that you don't have to earn. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. It's something that he gives you to fill in the gaps of your holiness. One of the most important things we have to understand is that while Holy Spirit is here to help us when we are weak, we have to be making the effort to live a holy life. How does one define what holiness is? When we talk about God, it has to do with his perfection and excellence in all aspects. Everything in how the world was created, how you were created, how he interacts with people, and his creation. Everything is perfect. There's no flaw in it. There's no flaw in his thinking. Which brings me to how do I describe what holiness is for us? For us, a very basic description would be doing everything in your power to do the right thing, considering other people before yourself, even when the scales aren't tipped in your favor. When you aren't doing the right thing, or when you aren't talking about the right thing, did you go and try to make it right? Did you protect the interest of strangers? More importantly, did you put God first in everything that you do? Did you consult God's will when making a decision that has a great impact on your life with people, with purchases, with attitudes? Do you consider God when you're in the middle of a conversation to help you choose your words well? Do you pause? Do you love God more than you love yourself? How well do you submit to authority? Are you humble? This is not the entire list of all the ways to become holy, but it gives you an idea of what being holy looks like. Christ's teachings help put them all into perspective. 
These ways of living holy are things that create the measuring rod God uses to judge holiness in us. His ways and his thinking never change. You may say that this is way too hard to maintain all the time. Jimmy, this is impossible. I say to you that you are absolutely right. It is impossible. Except for the fact that Jesus said we aren't trying to try and live this lifestyle apart from God. You can't do holy by yourself no matter how hard you try. So stop trying to be holy all by yourself. Or stop trying to live holy and try to make Jesus happy by how holy you are. This is why Jesus came. He was the perfect example that made this standard possible. Jesus simplified everything by making two statements. The first one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second one is to love your neighbor as yourself. This means whatever good, whatever situation that would benefit you, that you sacrificially offer it to someone else first. Jesus sent Holy Spirit to help us when we fall. Holy Spirit comforts us during the times of trouble and to offer us wisdom even when we don't want it or when we don't even ask for it. He's always there. This is what we should be keeping in mind every single day. It was so important to Jesus that he said this was the core to holiness, and on it was the law, which is the word of God, and the prophets, which are God's teachers. This is how we begin to define holiness. In Amos chapter 7, verse 7, God is speaking with the prophet Amos about the way the people of Israel built their lives around what they thought was God's standard of holiness. God compared it to a wall that was built out of alignment and out of center. God called his perfect standard his plumb line. God was inspecting their lives and was comparing their standard to his. God always inspects what he expects. The things that were going on in Israel at the time were not at all different of what we are seeing in Christian lives today. People aren't making the effort to live a holy life. They believe that God is forgiving enough to let them live however they want and make no effort to change. They're ignoring the fact that God has some expectations we must fulfill when we live for him. God's idea of how we live and the idea of how we live are completely different. In church today, we're so accustomed to people telling us what we need to know that I think we forget to think for ourselves. Christians are sheep. We are to follow Jesus. However, this caused me to think about a couple of things. First, what people don't know is deadly, and we need to teach them the things that they don't know. According to one statistic, 60% of Christians can't name five of the Ten Commandments. 81% don't believe in or aren't even aware of the basic tenets of the Christian faith. And 12% think Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. If knowledge is power, we're not really powerful right now. At one point, Christ mentioned that there's a day coming when we were going to stand before him and there was going to be people that were going to be expecting to get into the future kingdom and they'll be turned away because he will tell them that he never knew them. These same people were the people that told Jesus, did they not cast out demons? Did they not heal the sick? Did they not do all of these things? Did they not do enough church programs? Did they not show up when the pastor wanted them to clean the church? Did they help take out the trash? They're going to do all of these things, and at the end, Jesus is not going to know who they are. No matter all of the good things that they did, he will treat them like strangers. Which brings me to my second point. There is a need for conversation that's not happening in the body of Christ. There's a need for leadership and aftercare. Leaders need to make it clear what holiness is. It's more than just a list of do's and don'ts. It is a way of keeping the paths of communication clear between God and the seeker. The aftercare part comes from making your life accountable to other people. 
Accountability means transparency. A lot of Christians feel alone when facing a world that hates them. We create a lot of programs in the church that have a churchy feel, but they leave people unequipped to tackle what the world throws at them. We're really good at putting a happy face on our doubts and insecurities. What I think this teaches new Christians is that this is how life is supposed to be, and Jesus helps you to deal with your problems instead of rising above them or conquering them. I want to point out right here is where I think the disconnect is with our youth in the church today. They take a look at their parents and the relationship that their parents have, and they see how dissatisfied they are with their life and the things that they have and the things that they've accomplished. They see how dissatisfied they are with the people in the church. They hear their parents talking about the people in the church. They hear their parents talk about the pastor. They hear them talk about all of these things that bring disunity. And then they expect their children to go to church to sit and listen to these same people, these same pastors, these same youth pastors, and to heed the things that they say when their parents don't do it. On top of that, they never hear their parents pray. They never see their parents reading the Bible. They never see their parents engaging in Christian conversation around a dinner table. They never see their parents engage in Christian conversation with their friends, but they're expected to embrace Christianity. It's fractured, it's lukewarm, and it doesn't resemble anything resembling the power that we're supposed to have. And then we want to know why, that they're not coming to church, that they're not engaging in the programs in the church, and they're not engaging each other with Jesus and with Christianity. Luke chapter 10 verse 19 says this, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy, and nothing will harm you. But our churchy communities are filled with fair, or even worse, with people who are disinterested. Just to briefly sum up the lack of leadership. During a conference I spoke at, a young man wanted me to pray with him about something that was bothering him. He explained to me that this girl he was friends with was his crush. That's how he described her. It was his crush. She had told him that she was being sexually abused by an older man. He convinced her to come forward and report the abuse. When she did, he went with her to support her. When the abuser found out that the young man convinced the girl to report the abuse, he threatened to kill the young man and had been stalking him and threatening him, even following him to school. I remember him telling me that he had to look over his shoulder everywhere he went to make sure that the abuser wasn't there. I specifically asked him about the abuser, and he told me that the police were looking for the abuser, but at the time he had not been caught. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. When I asked him if he told anybody about what was happening to him, he told me that the people told him that they didn't want to get involved, but told him just to pray about it instead. He said he was scared and he had every right to be, and he wanted me to pray with him and believe with him that God would protect him. He also asked me what he should do about it. When I left him that evening, I was heartbroken for the situation he was in. Here he was. He regretted getting involved. This is the church we have created, and it doesn't even look like the powerful church that was started in the book of Acts. The people in that church risked their lives for each other. And here, we had a group of people that did not want to get involved. They did not want to get their hands dirty, but they told him to seek God and pray about it on his own. Listen, folks, seasoned, godly living teaches people how to live godly. Then we teach them to continue to seek out and encounter Him through prayer in the Word of God as they watch us live out our lives. How Christians encounter God is through spending time with Him. How living it outwardly really shows the world that we're invested 
in this relationship with Jesus Christ. There's no other way around it. Being holy and gaining holiness is carving out time to be alone with God. Another word for aftercare is discipling. Are the people around you the type of people you would want to learn from? Finally, we don't do holy by ourselves. It is only with God's help. I told you earlier that God inspects what he expects. He also provides you with all that you need to pass his inspection when we follow Christ. What we need right now are people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There are no breaks, and there are no cheat days when it comes to holiness. We need brave people who desire to be holy and are willing to deny themselves to live it and hear from God. The church sleeps while the world, as we know it, has changed. We have yet to see what normal will look like when it's all said and done. For right now, we have the time to reflect and ask God to show us the places where we come up short. It is time for the church to make necessary changes to become people who live by conviction and forgiveness. We're not trying to learn a new Christian vocabulary. We're only trying to embrace what we've already known. Jesus is coming soon, and we have to be ready, and we have to be holy. Thanks for listening to the Amos 77 Project. We pray that you were informed and empowered by what was said. Please like and share. Leave a comment or contact us at amos77.project at gmail.com.